Hi everyone, just Gabe at the top of the episode here to tell you that we recorded this with our good friend Tim Fleming over Skype, and as a result of that, the audio quality is not great. This was a total nightmare to edit. But it's a really great conversation, Tim's a great guy, and all of his audio is really crisp because he is professional, more professional than us who do podcasts every week. Uh, Don't worry about that though, I hope that quality aside, you guys really enjoy it. I'll be back at the end of the episode just to talk about some other stuff that we didn't get to in the actual show, so enjoy. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Every Marvel Movie Ever. I'm your host, Gabe Thomas. With me, as always, is your co-host, Francisco Alcala. Today, Franny, we are joined by our very special guest. It's not Ed Gale. It's not Sam Hargrave. It's Tim. Tim. Just Tim. How are you doing today? Hello, everybody. Today we're talking about pretty much the culmination of the last... Who even knows how many movies we've been talking about? But we're finally here to bring them all together with Joss Whedon's The Avengers. And then, eventually, Joss Whedon's Avengers Stage Voltron. And then, nothing ever directed by Joss Whedon ever again uh, because of scandals. Because who likes Joss Whedon anyway? And most people. Yeah, anyway, he's gotten himself into some trouble with the law. We can get into that later. Who hasn't gotten in trouble with the law who's also involved with Marvel movies? Because I feel like that's a trend at this point. Chris Evans is pretty clean. He's got a clean slate. Robert Downey Jr. He was, yeah, he had a rough pass. You know what? what? We're here to talk about film. We're not here to talk about real life. We have to separate the real from the process. And we're going to do that today. I agree. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Somebody's on my side. It feels good. Avengers, as I'm sure everybody pretty much knows, was released on May 4th of 2012 with a budget of $220 million. These heroes do not come cheap, and it made $1.519 billion. I think this is probably the first billion-dollar movie we've ever talked about on the show. Because it was like... I think it might have been the, the highest-grossing movie that wasn't directed by James Cameron. For like a chunk of time, because it was uh, Avatar, and then it was Titanic, and then it was the Th- Avengers dethroned. I think Return of the King or something. So that's pretty. Uh, and of course, as we've hinted at before, this is directed by the director of Firefly and Buffy and uh, Serenity, which is just the sequel to Firefly. But Joss Whedon, and it was written by him and Zach Penn, who did like bunch of shit. Who cares? <laughs> Nobody cares about this. We're really here to talk about the movie. When was the first time you guys saw this movie? Do you remember? Do you have any cool stories? Okay, so it's interesting. This was actually the first Marvel movie I'd ever seen. So, it was kind of a... It was really really awesome, I, I think. Yeah, I think it covers all the bases of like Okay, this is this guy, this is this guy. Right, like, it just, it sets up everything really well, so anybody new to the franchise won't really feel alienated by it. Yeah, on the commentary track, Joss Whedon was talking about how uh, he worked really hard to, you know, make sure all these characters were set up in, like, the best sequence possible, and to kind of give them all their own um, kind of quirks. And that's something he's great at, and everything he's done is his characters and the dynamics, so. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, it's like, because these movies obviously sparked the next, like, eight years of movies, but this one kind of made all these characters who were so different, and even during most of this movie, they're kind of separated. Except for, like, the end. 
Yeah, and then finally they have to assemble. They have to come together. And all these people are so different, and they don't get along for most of it, and they shouldn't be on the same team. But that's kind of the thing with the Avengers. It's like you have, and Tony Stark goes through that headcount in this movie. He's like, we got this arrogant god, we have me, who's just a mess, and we have Captain America, who's just been, like, thawed out. Like a week ago. (laughs) I'm amazed that he's not more racist, I will say. Because this takes a lot from the Ultimate Comics, and, like, the first thing Captain America does when he snaps out is be very racist. Wait, really? because he got frozen. (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole, I don't even, and then, you know, we have a guy with bow and arrow, who we've come to love, but at the time, it's like, well. He was kind of made fun of. Yes. Just like. Well, because he's not the Hulk. Yeah. Even Natasha Romanoff kind of proves herself. Yeah, I love how Hawkeye is the first one introduced. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he kind of gets that honor. And he tries to shoot Samuel Jackson. <laughs> well, successfully shoots Samuel Jackson. Well, he does shoot him. Yeah, exactly. Oh, shit, yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> I love that they like almost try to fake you out in the opening, <laughs> like as if Nick Fury would have... Yeah, him. like they would kill him like right away. Yeah, because I guess you'd be like, like a casual person be like, oh, he's just a government guy. It's like, Samuel Jackson, like, he's in for the ride. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, that scene, because everything is so kind of witty, and they're going back and forth with this dialogue, and it doesn't really feel real yet until he pulls that trigger, and he just goes, it's just so quick. He yeah, he's just, just down immediately. It's, just, it's almost kind of, it's almost kind of comical. That helps to kind of cement Loki as a threat, too. It's like, everything's kind of like, normal Joss Whedon, people are pounding around and quipping at everything for the start, and then this guy shows up and shit gets serious immediately. Because in the right. last movie that Loki was in, he was in Thor and he was he had his weird trinity from the Matrix haircut and you know, we've talked about it, but he was just he was like he was intimidating and it's a good performance, but I it's like, is this guy really gonna be the one to bring an alien army? He was just like a kid in Thor. You know it's funny because Joss Whedon brings that up also in the commentary and how this Loki is a lot different than the Loki we saw in Thor. Mm, yeah. And just kind of getting himself to be okay with that, realizing that Loki has changed from the previous movie. Yeah, you're right. Like, he is a very different character and he has to be, like, in order to antagonize him. And considering that he's working with Thanos, you kind of can't be like immature i guess yeah, well, that's, that's the stinger at the end <laughs> yeah odd scene thanos played by anyone else and so, pink <laughs> yeah, since he's been cemented as this like this force that we've seen so many times now but like that first appearance they weren't quite sure what they're doing so it's not josh brolin he's not the bright color scheme really so that's always kind of a a weird thing to me is when you see something that's like in an early movie that we'll see a lot more of in the future and it's like you guys don't quite know what you're gonna do with this but you're trying and i admire that okay so this is interesting because i i hate to keep bringing up the commentary but there's just so many cool things in there basically thanos is only there at the end because joss whedon wanted somebody like a, a larger kind of threat controlling the alien invasion and loki and Kevin Feige was just like, okay. But it's great because that completely paved the way for the rest of the MCU. It's yeah. amazing how much kind of impact that decision had because everybody freaked out when they saw it at the end. 
Yeah, I know. Like, everybody in theaters in 2012 who was totally aware of who yeah, Thanos was. Yeah, everyone knew who Thanos was. <laughs> then we're like, oh, well... I can't wait to see him in the next okay, movie. The then he wasn't. <laughs> but now it must be important somehow, but... Yeah, and now, like, I mean, Thanos and the Infinity Gems are common knowledge. When was, when was the next time we even saw Thanos in the MCU? Was it Guardians? Yeah. yeah. Two years later. Yeah, they kind of they kind of space out his appearances, but he's always intimidating when he shows up, which I think is... Important. Because he's in this movie, and you remember it through the next couple Marvel movies, but there's three before we actually see him again, so it's like, even when he's not directly involved, you know he's still out there planning something. And I think that that's kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, Captain America right now might be fighting Nazis that are back in Winter Soldier or whatever, but there's a huge malevolent force in the sky that's ready to wipe out everything. And then when he finally showed up, what, five years later or whatever, it was pretty, it was a huge deal because everybody had seen all these movies pretty much and was ready to, to take that on. But... There was something I was going to say. I can't remember what it was, so I'm just going to stall for time uh, while I wait <laughs> to think what it was. Oh no! Like you said, Tim, I think that you can pretty much, <laughs> I think you can pretty much uh, see this as your first Marvel movie because right out of the gate it shows you what Iron Man's up to and what all these characters are up to. And I just remembered the thing I was going to say, which is it's kind of interesting that we've divided these movies into like phases, like we have. This is the end of phase one, and then phase two is after. And throughout this movie, they they keep talking about phase two as like a plot point, as like what Shield's gonna do. But it's also kind of like meta commentary on what Marvel's doing. Like they constantly refer to, oh, what's phase two? What's phase two? And then you know, we see what phase two is to us, and it's completely different than what it is in the movie. In the movie, it's like making weapons. Yeah, they're trying to use the Tesseract to make weapons or whatever to fight aliens. Well, I almost feel like. It's it's really appropriate to separate them into phases because after this and after Iron Man 3, I guess, like Guardians of the Galaxy kind of shifted the entire tone and point of the MCU. Like the two kind of eras are completely different. The way this the Avengers is structured is so concise and it feels like an actual movie and not just a big uh, blockbuster, I guess. I don't know if, do you feel that way too? No, for sure. I feel like we have, since this was like, this movie proved that a cinematic universe could work and we had lots of failed attempts, or I'll say attempts with varying degrees of success. And a lot of what these ones got wrong is this movie had five movies, five solid movies to bounce off of that weren't just commercials for what they're going to do. So this feels earned because we had like, four years before this, of movies that people saw, disconnected from everything else, and really enjoyed. And so they were able to set up this movie, which was just all these things that people already liked coming together. It's perfect that we had all six of the Avengers in other movies. And, you know, four of them got their own movies, and then two of them were kind of shoehorned into other people's. But we still saw all of them, so we were all familiar. Yeah, I, I just think that this movie worked so well, specifically because there was just so much time leading up to it. And because of all the planning, like we've we've seen pretty much everyone that's in this movie pretty decently. Like Hawkeye got like that one scene in Thor, but I mean we've still seen him. 
So there's, it's just like, it just all makes sense for it to all just come together how it did, or at least to me. <laughs> no, I agree. And then we have the awful examples of that. Like we have The Mummy, which was one movie, <laughs> one movie cinematic universe where like, there's Dracula's skull on the hand of Or the Justice League. Or Justice League. Where they, like, they just cram everybody in despite not doing it right, not taking the time to Yeah, well that movie introduces a... like half of those characters for the first time pretty much. Yeah. I I feel like that it also failed because people just didn't like the movies before. Yeah. So it's not gonna work when you're gonna try to make a universe that people already don't like. <laughs> yeah, well the second movie in the DC and this is for a whole other show, but the second movie in the DC universe is pretty much it's Batman v Superman, which has a teaser for Justice League in the title. Dawn of Justice, the start of the Justice League. It's the second movie, and it has all of the characters in it, but they're all in it for like 30 seconds, unless you're... Well, actually, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly Bruce Wayne just sulking about, but that's that's a whole other dilemma, you know? I don't even know where to start. But yeah, no, I think that this is definitely the best example of really putting all your cards on the table and then completely kind of cashing in and making it work. Yeah, it's it's really the quintessential, like, ensemble, team-up, save-the-world movie, um, as far as I know. I mean, I don't know if you could name any other examples of that, have done that no, better. No, like, the, at least not before this. I think the only competition is other MCU films. Right. It's weird to think that, like, in 2012, this was, like, the ultimate crossover movie, of like at least when it comes to superheroes and there's like six of them and then jump 10 years and we have infinity war with like 30 characters yeah well i mean again that's just because they were able to keep adding on to this roster with different movies and people knew all these people going in so it's yeah. not a lot of who's who when you're watching them. it's like oh well i know these characters and i like most of them so it's i think by the time they got to that point like infinity war the cast was like, to me, it always felt really oversaturated, and that's kind of where it stopped becoming a movie and more of just, like, an experience, because you're seeing all this, all these people, like, characters coming together and doing this crazy big explosion uh, CG blockbuster theme park ride. And with this movie, it's just, there's just the six characters allows it to be so much more concise and confined and um, straightforward. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of those later movies, I still enjoy them. I think they're incredible spectacle. But this movie has so many scenes that deal with, with just one or two For sure. characters and establishing those relationships. And the fact that this movie can balance all those things is what made it work. Well, that's that's a good segue. We can go into, like, specific scenes. Oh, yeah, I think we definitely should. I think everyone has a perfect introduction in this movie. Just to start with, I think Iron Man, he's kind of flexing his ego. He has Stark Tower in New York now. Captain America, he's just, he's going through punching bags, like, cigarettes, pretty much. And having flashbacks to First first Avenger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's trying to adjust. And then we see that more in Winter Soldier. That whole movie's pretty much about that. So they shot a bunch of Captain America trying to, like, adjust the world, and it was pretty much all cut and 
a lot of it actually ended up in Winter Soldier. Yeah, there's that featured extra, that, that waitress in this movie. And I think originally she, her and Captain America had some sort of love triangle. And then they kind of just cut that out. Or not triangle, but some sort of relationship that was going on between them. Yeah, I read, because I recognized oh, really? who the, ra- the waitress was. <laughs> cut it for time. Because you still see her, like, she has that, when she's in the restaurant, and it's got that great shot where it's the building exploding, but you see her face. And then at the end, she goes on the um, news yeah. and talks about them or whatever. So that was going to be, like, an, a character oh, that... that no, okay. Oh, that, yeah, no, okay. That. I know so what you're talking about. a character yeah. that they were establishing throughout this movie. But I'm kind of glad they didn't, since, like, Steve Rogers just lost <laughs> the girl <laughs> he's been dreaming about. And yeah, like, and she's like, also just really, like, a, a random person. I mean, it's not much better than what he got later, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah, they made some mistakes for <laughs> niece. Or yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, oh jeez. Well, I guess, for starters, the scene where they're all, like, arguing... Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off, what are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Captain America's like, uh, why don't you put on the suit? And then, and then after that, it's more like, hey, you should put on the suit now. Yeah, just this really subtle moment that shifts the tone. I mean, stuff like that is... Yeah, that's a great scene. And there is... Yeah. Yeah, well, there is some sort of special feature thing that I was watching where Joss Whedon, he's on the set on the day of that scene that you're talking about. And he's like, this is the hardest scene I have to do. You know, he actually, he mentioned that in the commentary too. uh, How difficult it was to get, like, just to work out the blocking and the camera angles and the shot where they kind of pan around and then they go to the scepter and it flips upside down. And apparently none of the actors knew they were all like, what the fuck is he doing? They were, they, they thought he was like <laughs> insane or something. And then later when they saw the shot, they were like, oh. because I mean, that's yeah, one of the coolest, yeah. in my opinion, one of the coolest shots in the movie having the the world kind of flipped upside down with the scepter kind of agitating them. Yeah, no, I think so too, especially since that scepter is the kind of thing that's turning them all on each other, just like the camera's turning. It's it's kind of poetic visual. I, I, I like that a lot too, and I think that shot in another movie directed by a lesser director would be like, are you just trying to add some sort of weird stylized element? But since it's this person who has a very clear vision and knows what he's doing behind the camera, I'm completely with him, and I think that that was a really... It's a nice choice. I think it's yeah. a great addition to that movie. Just putting that little thing in there. And I think that whole conversation... Because that has, again, if we're talking about things that matter a lot seven years later, when everything is at stake in this universe, that has the line where Captain America is talking to Tony and he says something like, You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. To lay down on a wire and let the other guy crawl over you? I think I would just cut the wire. You know, and wow, there are so many cool little setups like that and then that pay off later in the third act. Um, another one being like, uh, and it's just so small, but like Tony Stark says to about uh, Agent Phil. His first name is Agent. Right, and then at the end he says, And there's one other person you pissed off. His name was Phil. Like you said, uh, there's a lot of poetic elements. I think so, yeah. There's, yeah, another one of my little favorite, because I, I love whenever they set up like a tiny thing and then it comes back around in a, in a yeah. nice way. I love when he's talking to Nick Fury 
and he's like, uh, he's like, I bet you ten bucks that there's some things that even you have not oh, seen. Yeah. And then yeah. he gets onto the helicarrier, sees the view, and gives him the ten bucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's one of my absolute like favorite little things. That's hilarious. That that one line it just comes back like thirty minutes later. Yeah, I just like that it's something so small that if you're not paying attention, you're probably gonna miss it. So, like, for people that are actually paying attention, it's nice that there's just, like, little things that just pay off, even though they, like, in the bigger picture, they don't actually matter. Yeah, yeah, it's all about the, it's all about the subtleties and all about the character stuff. I really enjoy the, I mean, I enjoy kind of every dialogue scene. I don't even know if I can really pick one, but one of the best, maybe it is the best scene that showcases Tony Stark, is when he's talking to Loki. He's talking to a god in his own house, and he's taken off his suit of armor, and he's just running through how they're going to destroy him and why his plan sucks. And that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. It's one of the best scenes. Joss Whedon said he rewrote that scene so many times. I think it was like 12. And then eventually he just said, uh, or, you know, thought uh, to kind of switch it up a bit and just make Loki, instead of threatening, like, just kind of come off bragging about what he was doing. Yeah. And it, it works so well. Just kind of the... Like, it's laid back, but there's also, like, a little bit of tension, and it just kind of ri- slowly rises and until he puts the scepter up to his heart, which... Like, it's, it's all building up to that, and then... Yeah, and then it becomes... Community. Yeah. Yeah, and then he gets thrown out the window. Yeah. But and I think I mean, I want to keep talking about the great character stuff since there's so yeah, much, yeah. but I think if we talked about every scene we'd be here all day. Yeah. Uh but I just wanna I do wanna say that like now kind of everything's been done when it comes to destruction of cities. Like everything's <laughs> been destroyed. Superman went insane the next year after just this game. new york alone has been destroyed so many times in so many different movies yeah well like, tim you and i were talking about Watchmen the other day and how that ends oh <laughs> yeah new york being decimated pretty much oh yeah yeah and how we wish it was a squid instead but again <laughs> whole other thing uh but i think the last like 45 minutes of this is kind of non-stop action it only stops when characters are interacting which is when it should stop but it's just, it keeps going from the second it starts, and it's really exciting, because this kind of thing, most of the battles at the end of these Marvel movies so far, before we got to the Avengers, is like, it's a guy, and he's fighting some robots, and then he fights another guy and kills him. This is, there's aliens coming out of the sky, there's big space whales, and everything is messed up. Anything that we destroy is just gonna fall and crush another building, and like, it's kind of it's different because it's not people just destroying stuff because it's cool. It's them blowing everything up because there's no way that anyone's going to be safe. It's just the the stakes are way higher in this than pretty much all of the other movies combined. Yeah, which is how it should be. Like If you're going to do an end-of-the-world plot, it should be when the Avengers are together. You know, that's an interesting like, point because the for them to, yeah. in, in Endgame, I guess it is like half the universe, but... That is, that's like, technically, that's only half the world, whereas in this movie, it's the whole world. Like, but, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It would at least be Earth. <laughs> right, just when you're looking at the Earth, think, but... Think in the grand scheme of things, yeah, in the grand scheme of yeah. things, the Thanos planet. 
plot is a lot worse, but... And Nick Fury blows a guy up because he's going <laughs> to nuke New York, and, and then the other nuke ends up, you know, going into space and blowing everything up, but... Yeah, the stakes are really high, but it can still balance intense action, which is fun to watch, with great character stuff. Even in the way that people are teaming up, destroying people. Like, Iron Man does the repulsor ray off of Captain America's shield, and it blows people up. And, like, you know, Hawkeye and, and Natasha are kind of working together, and Thor and Hulk. And it's just, it's these perfect combinations that you want to see in, like, a big epic thing like this. But sometimes it can be kind of headache-inducing and, like, well, we're just watching gray cities blow up with big blue lasers shooting into the sky. This kind of started the blue laser shooting into the sky also, because that became a weird trope after that. But I think that's just, that's another testament to why this one is special, even though we've had movies that have bigger stakes afterwards. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know, guys. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely what makes this movie special is just the characters. Because with such a small cast, um, especially in the last 45 minutes, they they end up fitting so many different character moments in. Like, um, just like Hulk and Thor. Hulk just punching Thor, yeah. sends him flying. Uh, yeah. Um, and there's just like so many different like quips back and forth. Um and just them finally working as a team after the entire movie of them almost trying to kill each other. I mean, in the Helicarrier, the whole Hulk and uh, Black Widow thing. Yeah. Um, That's a proper kind of intense scene. That scene is so intense. Like it's, it's, there's mood lighting in there. It's all dark and kind of terrifying. It like actually became a horror movie for a second. Yeah, and that whole... The whole, like... Cause I don't know when in the movie you would say that happens. I think it's at like the hour 15 minute mark. But the whole time before that, they keep talking about, like, the big guy and how, you know, you guys in the audience know what will happen if this guy does it, but we haven't shown you the Hulk yet. And so when it finally happens, it's like, this is what they've been avoiding this whole time. And that's good. And I just remembered that I want to talk about the scene where, uh, and I'm going to have to censor this, though, <laughs> because there's a scene where uh, where Loki basically calls Natasha Romanoff a whining c- Wait, what? Yeah. So, so I don't that, remember this. That scene when you know Natasha shows up. Also, this is the only movie that even remotely cares about her being Russian. Like this is the first and last. Yeah. Time ever address it. Uh, but there's that scene where you know she's kind of like antagonizing her. She's like, "I'm gonna make Hawkeye kill you," and then the Hulk's gonna show up or whatever. But he calls her a mewling quim. And if you get the translation on that, that's what it pretty much. <laughs> Wait, really? To. Oh my! It's in Shakespearean language, oh so they kind of cover it. But I've always found that fascinating. This is technically a Disney. Movie. <laughs> that is, that is interesting. Interesting. Joss Whedon noted that sort of language, uh, and how he he really liked Loki using it. He thought it fit. He was he was afraid that um, the executives at Marvel would wouldn't like really let it fly, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess Marvel doesn't have access to, like, Google or anything. <laughs> well, I think that just him talking in such a kind of theatrical way, because there is that in Thor. Thor is yeah. Shakespeare with space in it. And I mean, they, they do bring that up in this. Doth mother know you wear as her drapes? Because yeah. that's, to, yeah. Joke. Yeah, which I think that wouldn't land unless you had Thor and Loki... Because they had that scene on the cliff, which is another beautiful looking scene, I think. Because it's all just, I like 
night kind of cinematography. I like when I can't see anything in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> like Requiem or whatever. I like when it's kind of like everything's dim. And so they're having that conversation, and they are just like the dorkiest. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're going back and forth talking about Oh, it's so oh, great. Your father wouldn't want this. He's, yeah, no, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think that makes moments like, of course, there's the famous thing that would be kind of referenced in a lot of the movies leading up to whatever when Hulk smashes Loki and he pretty much ends his whole career when he just picks him up and kind of yeah just slams him I don't even need to illustrate but he destroys him he he wasn't a god if that was any other person they would have died after one hit let alone like six yeah but that moment like it culminates after Loki's talking and like oh I won't be bullied by you you dull creature and then he gets destined and I feel like if he didn't give that kind of delivery that you're talking about it wouldn't be it wouldn't resonate as, as so here's a here's a fun fact just real quick when they shot that they had his leg i believe tied to a rope and they were going to pull it to simulate the hulk grabbing his leg right but tom hiddleston didn't know when they were going to pull it so it made his um his yeah. kind of cu- the cutoff of his line really authentic can we bring up how this was originally well, I don't want to say it was rated R, but the MPAA gave it an R rating for the cult, for Agent Coulson's death scene. So it makes you... I think it still works without it being so graphic. Yeah, but it makes you wonder, like, how bad was it? How bad could it have been? Yeah. Well, they're they're frugal, I think. Because we've had, we've had decapitations in these later movies, and we've had yeah. people... Ooh. The villain almost always dies. Literally, Captain America decimates somebody in a helicopter or in a <laughs> airplane blade. <laughs> There's a moment in Thor Ragnarok uh, when uh, my buddies and I went to see it, where uh, I think Kate uh, Blanchett takes a spear and just like throw like air or force throws it into a guy's body, and it just kebabs him. And I audibly said, "Holy shit!" Because it was so graphic. And they've got yeah. stuff like that in yeah in like a movie five years There's down the line, stuff in these but movies. but like a, a like a little stab, I don't know. Maybe it's I, I don't get the MPAA. Sometimes. Yeah, like a little stab through the chest with like a dagger is too much apparently. Well, maybe it was a maybe he had a different death. <laughs> maybe decapitated and then like like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> like he melts. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that, there's no like, way. That movie's PG. Is, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, they have to put flames flames in front of Coulson's death. Yeah, to obscure it. But you can still see it. Yeah, exactly. They have to do the same thing. And I mean, you know, that, that effect in Raiders is still pretty intense. Oh, it's <laughs> awesome. It's not like really obscuring anything. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah, I know. It's it's. So close. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about Raiders. <laughs> yeah, we're well, changing direction. Now. You know, we don't need to talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, we, we've said everything needs to be said. Well, there's the 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 thing. I like the if we're talking about running gags, the shawarma bit. That's oh yeah, that probably taught improvised. By the way, I still don't know what it is. Yeah. Oh wait, actually wait. If we're talking about violence in this movie. I want to remember the scene where Loki sucks a man's eyeball out of his head. Oh god, I for- yeah, I forgot about that. Graphic, I feel like. Because that guy's just like writhing around. Yeah. <laughs> his eyes being torn out, so. 
we did that. <laughs> That's probably the most disturbing thing in the movie, at least for me, because with stuff with eyes has always made me cringe. Uh, I don't know. I oh man, I got some recommendations. Even for like you. like when somebody starts tearing up in a movie, like I start tearing up. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> No, I, I, sometimes, uh, I don't, I've never said this out loud, but sometimes, like, oh I'll, like, mimic someone's facial expression in a movie without ever thinking about it. I guess I'm a sociopath. But, like, if somebody's smiling in a movie, sometimes I'll start smiling for no reason. I'm like, why is this happening? I think I get too into it. I don't know what it is. You saw Loki tearing that guy's eyes out, eye out, and you were just like, well, now I gotta do it. Yeah, no, I went out. And Dad, come out. here. Yeah, I was at the local pet shop. Like, uh, yeah, no, but. I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's just you know, if you're connected enough to a movie, you'll do whatever. I know people who, whenever there's a scene where somebody's like underwater, they'll hold their breath. Like, yeah, like, I know that people do that, which is also weird. But I mean, whatever. Interesting. <laughs> you gotta do to get there. Yeah. It's no. called being invested, Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Stephen King. Back to your eye thing. I think Stephen King said that like the eye is the most sensitive of the, of the like of the nerves. So that's obviously always going to be the worst place for anything to happen well it's the window it's the window into the soul yeah it's true that's another thing it's like well then what do we even do (laughs) it's not (laughs) happening so i don't know but that's a scene that like doesn't get brought up also when clint burton was mind controlled he did a lot of terrible things and killed a lot of yeah he shot a lot of people (laughs) guards yeah same event he just goes to the next you know not even you're they right. Through the neck, they were like through the heart. <laughs> and there, the moment where afterwards, when he kind of snaps out of it with Natasha in that little room, he he asks so many people he's murdered essentially, and she's like, "Don't do that to yourself." That's really makes you feel kind of put you in his shoes. You know, it starts to make you think, like, what what if that happened to me? Like, that would be awful. No, it's an intense, it's, I mean, yeah, it's an intense thing, and I can't be like, oh, no, it's not addressed, because it is addressed immediately after he snaps out of it. Can I ask you guys, what do you think about the, in that scene that you're talking about where he snaps out of it, what do you think about the weird, like, negative color palette that they have in that scene? Because it's oh, not like anything else in that movie. I fucking love that. Looks oh, so cool. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> I'm not sure if I was into it. Just because it kind of, I think it's just, it was so sudden, it was, but I understand why it's there. I mean, honestly, that's not something I usually pay attention to in movies, so I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Everything's, like, elevated in color, though. All right. All right. I guess yeah. it was, can talk. yeah, I I'll just, it's... I'll just go drink my apple juice in the corner. But they started shooting, they started shooting that effect in camera, and then basically after the first shot, they were just like, oh, fuck it, this is taking up too much time, and then they just did it in post. I don't know how you would do that in camera. I don't know, because everything's magenta. You yeah. have to put, like, a lot of... I don't know, that's a, that's definitely a lighting thing, though. Mm-hmm. You'd have to uh, get, like, color gels and stuff. That's a nightmare. Okay, that's a good... That's a good, um... It's <laughs> yeah. a good moment to bring up how beautiful this movie is. Just how fantastic the cinematography by, uh... What's his name? Because I think it's very fluid. And I think it's because yeah. a lot of it was done with a TV crew, since that's what Joss Whedon's used to. And I know some people criticize it for that, for looking a little bit too much like a TV show. But I think... I think it works, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I have heard that criticism too. At first I kind of agreed, but when I watched it just the other day, like, with my, on 1080p, like the Blu-ray, it just, there, yeah, I mean, there's so much kind of 
depth and the framing is all very precise that it doesn't really come off that way to me anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with resolution, uh, you know, quality of the of the video, but... I think Age of Ultron, some of it's... Because I still like that movie. I think also because it's Joss Whedon, there's a lot of things in there. Like, I think it probably does try to go... Yeah, Age of Ultron, I know we're not talking about it. But Age of Ultron, I feel, has some really deep themes and ideas behind it. Just sort of the whole, like, Ultron kind of calling out the Avengers for what they are, which they are essentially murderers. Um, although they are heroes as well, but, you know, like, especially, well, Tony Stark, because he's murdered before he even became Iron Man. Like, uh, indri- he's indirectly murdered, like, hundreds of thousands of people if not more so and then directly murdered a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then a lot of direct murders even though they were terrorists or whatnot i don't know murder is murder not people whatever it's a movie it's a movie (laughs) but yeah i mean i think all of them all of them kill it a lot <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Hulk can't control it. Natasha and Clint are spies. Tony got all of what he has from weapons, and Captain America is a literal soldier. <laughs> so they're all murdered. He was literally in a war. <laughs> yeah. And that's a theme that's also touched upon in Civil War too, a lot, which makes that movie really interesting. Well, I kind of think of it as like Ultron. He doesn't win. He doesn't drop Sokovia into the earth and destroy everything. But he kind of He does wins. kind of win. He kind of wins in that he tears them apart. Because everything he talks about, he talks about how, you know, they're, they're murderers and bad people and, you know, everyone's going to lose hope. And then that's kind of what happens in Civil War. Yeah, I mean, it's just because he's, he's kind of not wrong. <laughs> and I think the best villains are the ones where you can kind of be like, yeah, I don't agree with how you're doing it, but I kind of agree Yeah, you're still you're bad, bad, but like... Your message is right. Yeah. I get it. But you don't have to murder that teenager, <laughs> right? This movie, we kind of see, like, recreations of this. We see it in Endgame because they go to this movie. We see it in Homecoming at the start because, you know, Vulture's, like, doing the scraps of this battle. And those are also things that are like, there's so much destruction happening here. Yeah, I don't understand how they could have fixed all that in like a decent amount of time. Yeah, but by the end of the movie, it's pretty much New York's back. Yeah, how do they get rid of all those bodies? Uh, <laughs> What'd they do with the whales? <laughs> well, you see it in Age of Ultron at the start. Do you? Well, there's some Chitauri stuff in that. <sighs> That's movie, right, yeah. So. One of the criticisms that I've heard for this you know, it's kind of a, just a slow build up to a big climax and that the second watch isn't really all that fun. But I disagree. Like, some of the best parts in the movie are the characters and the dynamics and their banter and dialogue. Just kind of seeing them all get thrown into a floating ship island thing for days and just that, seeing how they cope with that, I think, is one of the most uh, interesting things in the whole MCU. Just that initial contact. That's definitely true. I think it's extremely interesting to see all of them meet each other for the first time also. Because, you know, 
Captain America was pretty close with Tony Stark's dad, but now he's seeing what his son is, and it's like, oh, this guy <laughs> is absolutely clashing ideologies. And yeah. Thor and the Hulk. Yeah. I mean, all these things. It's like these people should not at all be together. Yeah, know? like literally, literally, Thor's introduction is him fighting pretty much everyone he sees. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. That is straight out of like a Jack Kirby comic book. Like that is absolutely. Just the way that Captain America gets himself involved. And if we're talking about Captain America moments that I really... There's only one God. (laughs) He doesn't dress like that. Yeah, Yeah, but another thing I I love is just when Loki's making... He's doing the Zod maneuver where he makes everybody kneel for him. And that guy's like, fucking Hitler. And Captain America shows up and he's like, yeah... Yeah, you are Hitler. That's fucking Hitler. Let's get him. That's incredible. And then... You have Tony Stark coming in, and yeah, that's almost that's almost poetic again. Like uh, Captain America coming in to save that guy, kind of standing up to Loki and the World War Two parallel. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think so too, especially since the last movie in this universe was all about that. And then you know he's like going into. I like that everyone has reasons to distrust Shield. Because, like, Captain America, he finds all that Nazi stuff that they got, and that's not a good look for them. And nobody trusts how much they're keeping from the actual team, and it's it's great. And it kind of makes that scene where they're all arguing with each other perfect and work. We're in a, in a movie like Iron Man 2, which tries to do people talking over each other. It doesn't work at all. And then you have something where it's even more people, and they have even more points and different kind of views on things and it works flawlessly because of the way it's written the way all the performances go and then of course just you know what they're actually fighting for it's it all works like every kind of piece in this movie it just it just kind of falls together like without even trying (laughs) there's no huge leaps in this movie where i'm like well why would you yeah like every decision makes sense i think because most of them anyway are smart people who know what they're doing we haven't even talked about how this movie introduces Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk because that's the only one where we oh that's really seen him before. But I think this I mean, is... uh, like yeah. you you keep saying like uh wow this is a great scene but you could say that about almost every scene in the movie like or or yeah. this is the best scene <laughs> know, it's because exhausting. it's like every scene is just incredible and I think that's that initial scene with Mark Ruffalo is probably takes the cake. Probably top ten scenes. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Just the way it's set up and and how you're kind of isolated in that shack with the two characters, and then as the dialogue goes and and the kind of banter ensues, um, he gets angry, and then we cut to outside, and there's like you know men surrounding the house. Yeah, like a minute after she was like, oh, we're alone. Yeah. Enforcements, <laughs> don't worry about it. She's obviously lying to him for her own safety, but I that's another, it's a, just a joke that works. And it's yeah. a, a, another reason that all the kind of quips and jokes in this work is a lot of them. They all have are, a point. Like, it's things they're all kind of setting up a punchline, essentially. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of them are almost like, what the audience is thinking like it's just kind of it it helps you to kind of relate with the characters a little bit more because it's like you think the same 
Yeah, it's able to take these ridiculous things with gods and monsters, which is what Nat says to Clint. She's like, we're not prepared for aliens, but here we are. These things that are insane and incomprehensible pretty much to anyone, and it's like, on the ground, this is probably how you're feeling, so we're just going to say it. Right. That's another nice thing, and I think that's what makes kind of all the MCU movies going forth, because they all kind of have a Joss Whedon influence on the dialogue. I think he cements... That's like, very true, actually. Yeah, he pretty much sets up, like, the tone for the rest of the MCU. Like, this is just how it is now. <laughs> Although it's a little more absurd now, and not not as tight. Yes, well, since the universe has gotten so big, every single every single thing isn't as kind of concrete and, and intimate You're right. as it was. There, there's so many moving people. parts that it's almost impossible to make something like this, like, that's so meticulously plotted out and concise. Yeah, it just really shows the difference, like, how much it evolved after maybe, like, I think Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the tipping point where it just kind of, it kind of went more toward a blockbuster comedy route, I guess. Although this is still, don't get me wrong, this is still a blockbuster. Like, this is... A fantastic example of a blockbuster but i say blockbuster more like martin scorsese thinks of Marvel it's like in movies. the bad way <laughs> right like there's like the good theme, blockbuster theme and like bad ride. blockbuster yeah yeah well it's a it's a big budget it's a 220 million dollar popcorn movie but it has so many intricacies that absolutely carry it above that and make it just a oh definitely instead of sure a spectac- yeah and all these movies do callbacks pretty well and and as they go on you know some of the quipping's a little too much but here seeing it at its purest point is really endearing after the 20 movies that have come afterwards and i i don't want to just speak of this movie in relation to what comes after i think i have been doing a lot of that but just as it is as a film it's kind of it's it's different since it's so it's everything's so close together I would almost dare to say, for what it is, it's pretty much perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason it's my favorite MCU film. <laughs> so concise and consistent, too. Yeah, I think I think there's a reason why it's a lot of people's favorite. <laughs> I mean, seeing this for the first time, when we didn't know that we were going to get movies with 50 of these characters in the future, and every movie adds more things and more ideas... And I do admire how this universe has gotten, because it's just been cemented and it's introduced so many people who would never know about these crazy things. It shows everybody this realm of fiction that was kind of like inconquerable up until this point, because it was just 80 years of comics and all this stuff, and it's you can't learn everything, but this is a great encapsulation of everything that's kind of come before it. And it's a like, it's a love letter to the comics as much as it is just a great action film. Yeah, if you want to show your grandmama what the the new Marvel craze is all about, show her the Avengers. Show her the Avengers. She probably won't have a heart attack. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, don't take your grandma. As if your, grandma is, if your <laughs> grandma is cool, she will like it. <laughs> uh, I feel like if you were going to show anybody um, a movie from the MCU, I feel like it kind of has to be this one. Because it's just, it's like, it's just a perfect MCU movie. And because of how it sets up everyone that's in it, you don't have to have seen any of the other movies. 
So if you want to get somebody in it, just show them this. Yeah, if you only have time somehow for one of yeah. these movies, just watch The Avengers. I'm pretty sure you can make do if you just watch one movie from each phase. You can probably figure most of it out, I think, on your own. Maybe that's a bit of it. <laughs> Maybe like two from each. <laughs> to see really is Avengers, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. That's enough of a story. Everybody's yeah. pretty much in them. <laughs> that's fine. I don't know. I mean, see them all, but you can only see that's fine, right? <laughs> uh, one other, I could bring up one other bit of trivia that's really niche and pointless, but in the final, like, the end-end credits scene where they're all eating shawarma. Oh, wait, 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 yeah. wait, Tim, can I, can, I, can I guess what you're going to say? <laughs> what, what? Are you going to say that Chris Evans had a, are you going to say that Chris Evans had a prosthetic jaw? Yes. How did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like the most well-known you, you, one. You ruined my moment. Hey, I, I, I didn't know that until the day when I watched the commentary, so... That's such a weird... I want to see a picture of it. Yeah, me <laughs> too. Prosthetic jaw. But he's sort of, like, hunched over yeah. and he has his uh, hand on his cheek, so. Yeah, he's covering it. It's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that until relatively recently, either. It's, that's so weird. <laughs> I, I, really I mean, it works. It doesn't look weird. <laughs> and it's one of the best end credit, like end end credit scenes too. It's like it's again, it, it brings it full full circle. It's set up payoff. Joss Whedon is fantastic at those. I think that joke was only, or I think that scene was only filmed like a couple days before the premiere or something. You're right. Last minute addition that it, they it was. It well, because Chris Chris yeah. Evans was growing his beard out for Snowpiercer, so and if you yeah, look at his hair, so he had shaved yeah. his head too, so his hair is a wig. And if you look yeah, at it, it's no, pretty it's, obvious too. Snowpiercer era. Chris Evans. I would say obvious, but you know it's noticeable. I mean, people hate this Captain America costume. That's just the most. Dude, what? People hate this. It doesn't look that bad. It's fine, awesome. right? Right? Like it's not my favorite, but it's it's pretty good. Because the point it's is so, that it's, like, it's cl- the serial version. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Coulson had design input, and he's obsessed with Captain America, so obviously he's gonna, like... It's supposed to be, like, an old-school cap, but, yeah. like, like, it looks yeah. good for being old. <laughs> yeah, it looks, no, it looks great. Like, it's, it's And not only shiny. that, but it just looks good with all the other Avengers. Well, not, not just good, it looks great. Like, uh, the blue... It, it just matches really well with the red on Tony Stark's uh, suit. And and then you've got Hulk's green and Thor's kind of silverish, And then Black Widow's black. And then Jeremy Renner's... Uh, he's still kind of black. Uh, <laughs> taken out of context, that might sound really bad. <laughs> Wouldn't be the f- worst thing Jeremy Renner's done. No, oh, yeah. Okay. Allegedly. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that's worth some investigating, everybody at home. I'll leave some links to some articles in the description. Uh, <laughs> is everybody, are you guys okay if I wrap this up? You got anything? Is that it? I think that's about it. Well, I know it's it from you. Yeah. I'm pulling your own weight around here, I'll tell you what. <sighs> now you're right. <laughs> 50-something episodes of you almost, so. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, well, Tim, thank you so much for coming well, on. Well, thanks for having me on. Maybe uh, we can have you back for... We should get you back for Age of Ultron, maybe. We can, we can all watch that Joss Whedon commentary track. We can watch that Joss Whedon commentary track. I know, but then, but then the I, won't sound, track I won't game. sound smart and educated. 
Well, you know what? We'll we'll all start watching commentary tracks for every movie, and then we'll... that's a good idea. <laughs> sure. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> commentary tracks are pretty good sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I yeah, mean, and then we can talk about the commentary track and My favorite. the commentary. Let's podcast. No, let's do a commentary track podcast. Oh, no, where we do a commentary. Track. No, we s- we separately review the commentary track, separate from the movie. <laughs> It's never been done before. It might just work. <laughs> I, I feel like there wouldn't, there would, there's not enough to talk about somebody else's commentary to have a whole podcast up. It would be like five minutes probably if you cut it down. We'll, we'll just, we'll just say, Joss Whedon, you're wrong. Why'd you do this? We know that you directed some of Justice League. So. <laughs> you can't hide it. It's public knowledge. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And now I gotta do the, the the great thing where I do all the socials. Yeah, do do it, I'm not gonna do it because I'm not gonna remember it all. all right. well, do it all in one take. If you got anything to say, <clears throat> you can email us at marvelmoviepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at marvelmoviepod. You can find me on Instagram at flipdeg. You can find me on Twitter at flipdeg, but the E and A is a three. Tim, do you want to plug any socials or do you want to remain off the grid like Franny does? Because uh, he hates everybody. I'll plug my Instagram. It's real Timothy Fleming. Give me a follow, couple likes, DM me when I'm only on the good pictures. (laughs) Only yeah, only on the good pictures. (laughs) Uh, But that's all of them, so. Oh, you like all of them? That's weird. Okay, well that's it. It's fun. That was that was fun, guys. Yeah. Uh, Good talk. (laughs) We're talking about the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh God, no. (laughs) It's gonna be a nightmare. All right, everybody. Thank you. Come back next week, please, and all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah, see you next week. Stay safe, wash your hands. Hopefully that wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, the problem was Franny, his mic was too loud, my mic was way too quiet, that's why there's a lot of weird static stuff going on. But we had to assemble Tim if we were going to talk about the Avengers. I mean, you really think we could handle that alone? We're very incompetent. So I'm really just here to talk about what Noah and Paul said, because I didn't include that in the actual episode there was just no time to bring it up and i felt really awful that i couldn't say what they had to say because they had some good stuff to say and some controversial stuff to say that i want to take them down for you know i'm not canceling anybody today i just wanted to so noah says the worst avengers movie that's right i said it but what's that mean because they're all awesome absolutely groundbreaking piece of cinema that obviously changed the course of entertainment for an entire decade which we bang on about a lot in the episode that you just heard, obviously. Amazing character interaction, brilliant culmination to phase one. Only real problem is that it's a weirdly shot movie that looks like a CW TV show, especially in the helicarrier scenes. Kind of boring looking, but the action and dialogue easily make up for it. And since I know you surely already mentioned the music, we didn't, Ellen Silvestri's great though, and that score has become as iconic as some pieces in Star Wars. Obviously, everything that has been said about it already has been, but it's such a quality movie. I think it's probably the best Avengers movie. If you look at it as a film, it's not too oversaturated with anything. It perfectly blends comedy and... I I don't want to say all this. You heard the episode. But Noah, I fundamentally disagree with you and think that you're a terrible person. I'm sorry. No offense. Uh, no, you're right. Sorry. Let's see what Paul has to say. I don't know if it was a hell of a lot. But Paul, if you're watching this on YouTube, he really went all out with the thumbnail this week. I was... Very impressed, to be quite honest. So all Paul had to say is, he loves it, it's an absolutely classic film, 
and the part when the old man stands up to Loki is incredible, which are, you know, both things we repeated a thousand times, but absolutely true. They were great. It was really good. I hope the awful quality didn't make you stop listening, but if it did, I understand. Hopefully we haven't destroyed our reputation forever, and if we get Tim back, which we definitely want to do, we can make it work, because I would love to do that. It's just, you know, with Skype, it's, you never know what it's going to sound like until it's, until it's done, but um, I think it was worth it. And we're talking about The Amazing Spider-Man next week, which... Franny has already told me he does not enjoy, and I kind of do, so that's probably going to be a really conflicting episode, hopefully. Um, Yeah, alright, cool. Good morning, or good night, or good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, Just make it good, yeah? Wash your hands. Bye.